Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the second hour of Ghost Chronicles Radio, uh, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me is not the blonde bombshell. She is off drinking something somewhere, I'm sure. Anyways, uh, filling in for her is my good friend and psychic investigator, Leslie Martin. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Ron. Yeah, no problem. It seems like I just saw you. <laughs> well, friends do that. They see each other one day and talk to each other the next. So, yeah. So we got a, a pretty good show tonight, I hope, <laughs> because I've got these guys on who have been more elusive than a ghost, and I've been dying to get them on the show. And they are the gentlemen, Brad and Tim, from the I can I did call them gentlemen. Yep, from the Upper Peninsula. Oh, God. Paranormal Research Society. Did I get that right? Nailed it. We just go oh. by youpers. Oh, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I usually butcher names, so that's that's fine. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. And basically, where are you guys located? Uh, well, first of all, uh, Ronald, Leslie, thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. Uh, we do apologize for the elusiveness, but thanks for sticking with us. Uh, so as our uh, the, the name of our team alludes to, the Upper Peninsula, uh, we're in the UP of Michigan, the part that looks like the rabbit that's jumping over the mitt. We're, oh, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. right up there, right on the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. That's God's country. You got it. Yeah, Nailed it. You got a voice for radio, by the way. <laughs> uh, well, actually, this is Tim speaking, and uh, Brad, uh, we both have done radio. Brad did it in the past. I actually own a radio station and do the morning show, so it's kind of in our blood. Do you really? Yes, yes. Oh, is that Eagle Radio? It is, yep. Yeah, it, it's so funny because uh, one of the well, two of the shows I, I I do on is on Eagle Radio here in Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. 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 Got the same it's, up here. Yeah. So I thought that was apropos for some reason. <laughs> so, uh, how did you guys? Uh, first of all, how did you guys get interested in the paranormal? And you know, I don't. It, you know, it, I want to hear from both of you. So. Yeah. You yeah. It, it all kind of wraps together, really. Um, we weren't kids growing up in haunted houses or, or had those big experiences. As Tim said, we're, we're here in the upper peninsula of Michigan, which is kind of remote by a lot of standards. And you really develop something of a a knack for adventure. I think growing up, especially back when we did in the seventies, eighties, and we were the kids that really got into the creepy stuff. We'd be out running around through the graveyards. We'd ride our bikes to the library, you know, at least once, twice a week check out anything we could find on UFOs, Bigfoot, and especially ghosts and hauntings. And then we'd swap books back and forth. And Tim and I and a third gentleman that we grew up with, Steve LaPlante, uh, we just, we never lost the fascination. So then when we ended up in high school, we started uh, taking off, exploring, doing all these abandoned houses and old remote graveyards and things we would tell people nowadays not to do because we were basically breaking and entering or uh, (laughs) trespassing, that kind of thing. But 
as kids in high school, that's kind of where we cut our teeth on it. And uh, the funny thing is, too, uh, Ronald, is, you know, uh, Brad and I and Steve, the other gentleman he named, neither of us grew up in a haunted house. We never had that one experience that seems to draw a lot of people to the field. Uh, we were just the the weird kids who, <laughs> by first grade, had had like magnets come together and we realized we just had this fascination and we've been running the streets together uh, looking for ghosts since first grade. So it's, it's, it's a pretty cool story too. Yeah, I, I think so. First of all, my name's not Ronald. You can just call me Ron. That's all right. My, Good to know. If you, if you have to call me anything, uh, yeah. but also, you know, I, I also did not grow up in a haunted house or have any paranormal experiences when I was a kid either and wasn't interested in ghosts until much later in my life. Um, well, Leslie, my co-host here, is a, a psychic or a medium. She's grew up with it all the time. So it's it's different for us, I think, than for Leslie. I mean, she she believes in it already. We're what we're kind of skeptical about. We do approach things still from a skeptical, e- even after years and years of investigating from from a skeptical side of things. Uh, nobody on our team is psychic or clairvoyant by any means. We never claim to be. Right. So it's yeah, yeah. I I think and, and we love hearing all viewpoints. So I mean, we've we're skeptical, but we definitely keep open minds. So Leslie, well, you, you think must. All you, I, I was thinking that you must believe in in the psychic abilities as as where you grew up together and you're you're so into all of this stuff, you you have to see the other side of it as well. I, I know that the skepticism is really healthy to have, but do you doubt people when they say that they are psychic? No, not at all. Um, as a matter of fact, we know, uh, have gotten to know quite a few very good ones that we, we trust and will work with um, it, it, through the years. So no, we very, very much believe in the ability uh, and, uh, and, and very much respect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just we we've also worked with a few people that claim to be psychic that we had reasons to doubt, let's say, and that's putting it very, very kindly. Sure. Well, to to be honest, I doubt people when they tell me that they're psychic. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's good to have doubts because, you know, you, you got to get to the bottom of things. Yep, absolutely. Not everybody can be a Miss Cleo. Or an Eileen Garrett. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but okay, so why did you form a group? It really kind of after graduate. So after high school, we all graduated together back in '91, and then all went off in our own directions for for college and university. And as uh, the universe would have it, we uh, at least the three of us who ran the streets as little kids ended up back here in our hometown of Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And from there, we realized that even after our college years, uh, we still did not lose our love for the uh, field. So we realized at that point, we're now 21, 22 years old, that uh, if we tried running through um, through cemeteries and old houses at that point, we're going to jail if we get lost. <laughs> so we realized at that point we had to kind of make it legit. So back in 1998, 1999, we sat down and started to formulate the idea of creating a uh, a research team. And of course, this was before the explosion of the TV shows. So we were kind of cutting our own teeth uh, and working it that way. And, and that's where it all really started. We realized we had to kind of make this a legit thing instead of just running around trying to have that thrill of, of scaring each other anymore. Yeah, I, we still like to do the uh, whole jumping out and scaring each other thing. Yeah, of <laughs> but yeah, it was it was one of those things that we we just we sat and we said, well, 
let's see how we take this to the next level. And as Tim stated earlier, there, there weren't groups on every block at the time, you know, the, the TV boom hadn't started yet. The closest group that we could find to our area was in the Detroit, Michigan zone. And that's, uh, by drive, that's five and a half hours from us. Mm -hmm. So it's not exactly someplace we could just jump onto. So we started reaching out. We found an Ontario based group that we approached and they said, yeah, we're, we're on a border town. We, we have a bridge connecting us to Ontario. And they said, wow. yeah, if you wouldn't mind going back and forth and doing investigations on both sides of the bridge, uh, we'd love to have you guys on as a satellite branch. And we started out that way. Mm-hmm. And after God, a couple of years, I guess, um, we, we realized that we weren't really getting anything out of being affiliated with this other group. And we'd, we'd never met anybody from it. So we, we just kind of said, you know, we, we branched off on our own. In the meantime, we picked up a, a couple other old friends who uh, we had known since elementary school as well and ended up putting together the group, putting our own name to it. We became a uh, nonprofit corporation with the state of Michigan. So uh, we, we got ourselves a little bit of a, a legal basis to stand on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and then we, we started off uh, going by the UPPRS. So that okay. was that was around around 2000 when we started going under that name. Yeah. We'd been operating under uh, Ontario Ghost and Haunting Society, I think it was, for a couple of years before that. Now, I got three things out of that. First of all, I can't get the visual image of you guys riding around on your bicycles like the Goonies. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty, so that, pretty close. That's, that's stuck in there. I, I don't know if I that's can accurate. move that before, there, before yeah. the show goes. Uh, <laughs> and the other thing is, I formed my group, the New England Ghost Project, uh, basically the same time you guys did. And I remember going on the internet, which was very new then. Yeah. And there yeah. really wasn't that many ghost hunting groups. And I mean, you came across the uh, Toronto uh, Society there, and you had Jeff Belanger's website and uh, Hollow yeah. Hill uh and uh, the other one, international something or other, I forget, uh, in Arizona. But, uh, yeah, there wasn't much on there. So, yeah, you had to work your own way uh, in, in getting involved in it. You had to set your own standards at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, it, we were the only, I think we were the only team north of that Detroit area at the time. That we could find. Again, yeah. the Internet was pretty new, but websites were still, start, they were starting to come out around that time. And, uh <laughs> So, yeah, but yeah, as far as I could tell, uh, yeah, we were probably the uh, definitely in the Upper Peninsula area yeah. for sure. Yeah. And the other thing I, I thought is, too, is that you 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 registered as a state as a nonprofit. And I see so many of these ghost hunting groups on Facebook and other places, of course, and they call themselves nonprofits. And I'll bet you nine out of a ten of them are not even registered as nonprofits. They're really uh, they just use that as a as a kind of a, a crutch, saying, "Oh, we don't charge for our investigation. See, we're nonprofit, but they're not true nonprofits." No, we actually, yeah, but we we did five hundred one c three to get our, uh, as we said, kind of a legal binding behind us, and that was pretty early on. And we had no idea. We were like, "Man, should we really we we use LegalZoom?" <laughs> and we're like, <laughs> "Yeah, remember that?" We, oh, wow. Yeah, we're like, "Should we even?" Will the state of Michigan laugh us off? You know, out of the office, but. Uh, lo and behold, they uh, they accepted our application because they wanted their twenty five dollar filing fee, and uh, <laughs> before you knew it, we were a five hundred one c three. Yeah, and we we do a lot of charity events and work with different charitable organizations, mm-hmm. and that also gives us a legal basis for helping raise funds, collecting money, handling money, turning it over. So 
Yeah, that was uh, that that was kind of a big step, really, especially at the time that we were doing it. Right. Yeah, that's one thing I never did. I always went as as a business. Uh, I performed it as a business. In other words, uh, any funds I collect and everything else, I declare and everything else. But uh, like you, I do raise. I mean, I've raised thousands and thousands of dollars for the Portsmouth Harbor. I'm on the board, and also other. Uh, lighthouses in the area and also other historic sites as well so that part is why we I went differently than you did but how has your team evolved uh since that first Goonie expedition to uh, (laughs) (laughs) well it kind of like what Brad said uh our team has stayed right around nine people through the entire process uh we've lost one or here there through the years due to them moving and stuff but we've always kept our team very small uh, and very close. We we like to call ourselves, uh, uh, we put the capital D in dysfunctional family, but we love each other like brothers and sisters. And, and you know, we always wanted to keep it that way. So our team has always stayed very small and intimate. Um, so, you know, would I guess to, to answer that, how have we grown? It's just been together uh, yeah. through the years. I think operational-wise, as far as going into the field, we, we were like any other team. We, we hit that point where, okay, we've got a group together. We've got jobs. Let's throw some money in and buy every piece of equipment that we can find <laughs> coming out that somebody's using. Next thing you know, we've got totes and totes full of thousands of dollars worth of equipment that we never take out. And, and it's kind of that bell curve. You build up, build up, build up, and then you say, wait a minute, what in the hell are we doing with all this stuff? Mm-hmm. So we've kind of started to unload more, especially over the last, I would say, three years, back to the point where if we go into the field, we more or less are going in with uh, maybe a couple EMF meters and cameras and audio recorders. And a lot of the other stuff does not see the light of day anymore. Yeah, you know, 20s and 30s, uh, we didn't, in our 20s and 30s, we didn't mind carrying around uh, totes and totes, but you get into our 40s and, and, and on 50, and uh, all of a sudden we want to lighten our load a little bit. And really kind of going back to the basics, though, and really trusting our senses and trying to get away from as much of the digital stuff as we had and just believing in our gut feeling again, we're not, we've never, none of us are psychic, uh, in that, uh, at that level, but we, we, over the years, we've learned to trust our feelings and we're kind of, you know, kind of falling back on that a little bit more these days. Well, you truly are the most sensitive piece of equipment in your whole gathering of tools there, because if you're not having the experience, then what are you having? Right. You know, so, yeah. yeah, I'm glad that you've gone that way. We're not out looking to prove anything to anyone. Believers will be believers. Skeptics will always be skeptics. We can bring in any piece of footage that we catch. And now in the digital age, it's so easy to fake photographs, video, audio, if you wanted to get down to that point, that you know we're, we're not here to make a believer out of anyone. We're here to go in if somebody calls and gather what evidence we can. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, kind of the uh, the sad part about where we are in today's society. We've all become so skeptical. And with today's technology, we could have uh, what we call the money shot and no no one would believe it. Uh, so it's really about uh, just trying to work the field and, and e- e- making sure p- you have a good reputation and hopefully together as a field, we can push this forward. And, and share your experiences, I assume, as yep. well, right? Yeah. Which Which is why you wrote a book? Yeah, yep. yeah. We've actually, uh, our second book just came out, Great Lakes Monsters and Mysteries. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to write. It was a little bit outside of our our normal comfort zone because we got into everything from aliens to cryptids to just strange, bizarre happenings all throughout the Great Lakes Basin. We got to interview a lot of really cool, knowledgeable people that are professionals in these different fields. And this is more of, um, it, it was more of a research book for us than our first book, Supernatural Haunts, which came out, what, four years ago, Tim? Three, you know? Three? Yeah, okay, we started that, working on it four years ago. Yeah, that that was our case files. So we, we went through, we, we were sitting one day and a uh, very well-known author in the field, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, reached oh, out. God bless his soul. Yes, yes. And she reached out and she said, you know, you guys are in such a fascinating area of the country. It's one of those last unexplored regions, the UP. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a third of Michigan's state mass, but only 3% of the population live here. Wow. There's miles and miles of undiscovered wilderness. There's lakeshore that's undeveloped by the by the miles. And she said, "This it's just such a cool place. And we'd been friends with Rosemary for a number of years. And she said, I would love to have you guys do something for my company, Visionary Living, along the lines of your case files. And we said, well, we'd talked about writing a book, but the book we just came out with was actually what Tim and I had been discussing doing, Mm -hmm. which was based off of uh, an old presentation that we'd given over the years. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Rosemary kind of uh, realigned us at that point, and that's, that's how the first book came out. Second book was also through Visionary Living, uh, her husband, Joe, is now running the company. So, Yeah, what was really fun about, as Brad said, this, the new book we just put out was more of a research for us because a lot of it had to do outside of the realm that we work in. But when we did Supernatural Haunts, our first book based on 20 years of our case files, that was fascinating in the sense that it allowed us to open up the case files again and literally go back 20 plus years on some of these cases we had worked on that we hadn't, you know, we hadn't looked at those files in, in a few years. So it was almost a, a relearning for us and remembering yeah. those moments. And that was really exciting for us to write that first book. So uh, I know, well, I'd like to talk about your second book after the break, uh, halfway through. And, but so staying on the ghost theme, can, do you mind talking about your first book a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah. So as we had said, it, it was really right out of the case files um, of of our work over uh, the past 20 plus years. And so it was it was just a matter of, you know, a lot of it is is more Michigan based, obviously, whereas Great Lakes, the one we'll talk about later is much broader. But this really took us back to even some of our youngest years. And it was kind of fun to go back in the case files and look at uh, the way we used to do some things exactly. and, and some of the old equipment we still use back then, pulling out cassette tapes and stuff like yeah. that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah, it it was a lot of fun, and it was just just to get dig into those files and look as as we progress through the years and some of the cases that we've worked, some of our favorites. You you'd mentioned the East Coast lighthouses. We've done a number of Great Lakes lighthouses. Uh, awesome. Two of those would be probably in, in our top five as far as what we would consider haunted For locations: sure. Whitefish Point Lighthouse on Lake Superior and Seshua Point Lighthouse on Lake Michigan. And th- those are a couple of my favorite stories that made it into the book. And we did, we, we kept it away from any of the residential haunts, even though we, we've had some really fascinating experiences. We really wanted the book to be places that people could visit. Yeah. There, there, there's restaurants, there are Airbnbs. Hotels. Hotels. Museum ships. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. So a lot of waterfront. It, it, it's interesting for us, and I'm sure it is for you too, Ron, on your side. It seems that a lot of the places that we go that have more activity or at least more recordable activity that we seem to pick up are waterfront locations here on the Great Lakes. It, it yeah. seems like we're, we're always within a block or two of water at, at our most active locations. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Leslie's has, has, has done many investigations and, and it's psychically, is it the same for you, Leslie, as, as us? To be like, um, to pick up more near the water? Uh, yeah, I don't I, think so. I, I think that um, the houses tell the stories and, um, and I, I seem to get the same amount of information, whether it's close to water or not. Oh. Right. The the only problem with with like waterfront investigations, and I don't know if, if you guys have run into this, but uh, is is the environment there? Unfortunately, is is not very uh, what's the word I'm looking for friendly to investigators. I mean, you know how voices can carry across the water. Uh, you know, I remember doing Rose Island Lighthouse, and, it, and people go up in the lighthouse and they say, "Oh, they hear a baby crying." Well, we went there. We we know what the baby was crying it was the seagulls. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But yep. but I mean, don't you find that uh, as a problem? I mean, how voices and, and sounds carry in, in in a water environment versus uh, a land-based environment? It's probably I I can definitely relate to that, and we've had that come up, but. Our waterfront areas that we tend to investigate are very remote. Okay. Uh, Seshua Point Lighthouse, there's nothing for miles around that. Uh, you're, you're literally going down a dirt road. Uh, I, I want to say it's 15, 16 miles off the main road to hit this point, And there's nothing else around it, um, which, which we've always taken into consideration, too. Versus if we're downtown in Sault Ste. Marie in our hometown on the water, yeah, there's a lot more possibilities for contamination on something like that but when we have a place that we have complete control of and it's desolate like that same with whitefish point there's there's nothing else around that lighthouse to me the the those type of um locations what i worry about more i'm, I'm really hoping we're having a calm wind night because mm -hmm. some of those huge winds that come off of you know the yep, lakes or the oceans where yep. you are you know and you get those those winds and then you get the water uh, crashing up on the shore with it, then that can really make it trying to do any type of audio work uh, a bit challenging for sure. But, and you also pick some noises. I, um, as I mentioned, I'm a member of the, the board of uh, Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, and we do, uh, before the virus, that we did um, haunted tours, and we would go and and go through the port and, you know, take a tour with us and, and, and through the lighthouse and so forth. And there are some nights, when, you know, we'd, we'd certain points we would stop and we'd do our talk and so forth. And, you know, the wind would hit right and you'd hear, you know, howling or you hear screeching and, and it would be just the wind going through a certain area or, or moving uh, something that caused noises. And, and so that's another problem. Yeah, the wind, you, you do pick up that uh, you know, another piece of the environment that you have to deal with. And, and, and if you're in a lighthouse, they can sneak through certain openings and stuff yeah. that, that creates howlings, whistlings, whatever. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So they're a challenge. They're a lot of fun. The history around them is, is, is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you mentioned a couple of lighthouses. You want to give us a, a story about one of them? Yeah, go, go with the Sichuan one, too. Yes. You, you wrote that chapter in the book. So it... it 
So the Sichua Point one, which is on the belly of the Upper Peninsula, it's right on the tip of Lake Michigan, and um, it, it's it's as Brad said, as desolate as it comes, and it's a wonderful old place. Uh, Sid to many trusted psychics and mediums have been through there, and, and they believe there's six. And this is confirmed by multiple different uh, psychics who didn't know each other. The Gulliver Historical Society runs the lighthouse now, and they're very much into the ghosts that live there and they're very open to them. Six different spirits are said to live there. And we call this place our Disneyland because every time we go there, uh, we leave scratching our head about something. We were just there again uh, earlier this summer and had a wonderful time there. But uh, it's a it's a warming place. Uh, you walk into it and you feel like you're walking into grandma's house. You expect to see grandma back in the kitchen baking you. <laughs> Uh, cookies, you know, it's just got that welcoming, warm feeling. Whereas the other lighthouse that Brad had mentioned, Whitefish Point, which is up on Lake Superior, so the north part of the Upper Peninsula, has a very heavy feeling. It's very, very different than Sichua. Um, not evil by any means, just heavier. So, anyways, one of our um, investigations there um, that was, I think it was our second or third return visit from our initial. Um, one of the, the, the most famous spirit of Sichua point is, uh, captain Joseph Willie Townsend. He was one of the lighthouse keepers there. And, uh, the history of it is that he loved to smoke cigars and his wife would never let him smoke within the house. So he always had to smoke outside on the porch. And now the smell of cigars can be very prominent within the lighthouse. And, he has been seen many times, um, full body apparitions, his face appearing in a mirror. He, he's seen all over the, the grounds at, at Sichua Point. So we went there that one night and um, we got our, our equipment set up. And uh, Marilyn Fisher, who's the head of the Historical Society, she said her goodbyes to us and took off. And so it's just our team. And we wanted to leave just our equipment doing its stuff for a while. Everyone came outside. We went outside. And we're standing in the side driveway area, parking lot area, and there's uh, four windows that face us from the side of that house to the and right. Then, and then we have to take a break. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to hear what happens, you're going to have to wait until after the break. So anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with uh, Ron Kolick and Leslie Martin and our, our uh, special guests are Tim and Brad from the uh, up, yeah, them guys. <laughs> and uh, we're brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts, and our good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio and Patreon. We'll be right back after the following messages. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, Get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello, hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the ghost box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. 
The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, Mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Leslie Mod and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet and Pyrex Radio and wherever else this crazy broadcast is, be, is being listened to. Uh, so just before the break, we, we were talking with Brad and Tim from Uper, U, U, uh, whatever. Uh, Upper Peninsula yeah. Paranormal Research Society. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, You're Leslie. Welcome. Somebody's got to save my ass. Usually it's Ann. I, I can't even get names straight. It's a freaking birth defect that I have, evidently. Uh, but anyways, so, yeah, thank you very much. And just before uh, the break, you were telling this exciting story about an investigation you were having. So you want to get back to it. All right. We'll jump right back in. So we had all gathered outside in the parking lot area next to the building, the lighthouse, and just letting our audio and our, our video cameras uh, do their thing. No one, no human in there to to contaminate anything. And we all brought cheap cigars with us to salute <laughs> Captain Joseph Willie Townsend. And so we're all out there uh, and we light the cigars and we we, we salute the captain. We're, we say, Captain Townsend, thank you for once again uh, allowing us to come back and being with you. And we're all hacking and coughing because none of us are smokers. <laughs> so we're like kids out behind the high school trying to smoke our first cigarette. And so we, we salute him, though. And we say thank you for allowing us to be here. And then we all kind of chat and we're just hanging out. And myself and another team member happen to be looking at the windows. We're looking at the one to the far right, which is one of the kitchens. And I see a full-blown uh, shadow figure, shadow, go past the window. The drapes are wide open. And next thing I know, Matt, the other guy, he says, did you just see that? And I said, yeah, you just saw that too. He says, yes. And the other team, the rest of the team hears us talking. They're like, what did you guys just see? And we told them. We said, there is a shadow that just went by, and it's walking towards now the formal dining room, which is where the next two big windows are that are right in front of us. So all of a sudden now you've got eight pairs of eyes staring at the same window and at that very moment we see at that window has the curtains closed and we watch the curtain pull back slow pull back and it stays there and it holds as though someone's looking out wanting to know you know who are these guys in in my driveway and it stays there for what seemed like an eternity to us but was a few seconds anyway and you just see this darkness inside yeah you couldn't see anything beyond blocking out the light and then all of a sudden, slowly, you watch the curtain go back into place, and it just sits there like they closed the curtain. And there was a few seconds of silence, and then it's like Christmas morning, and we're all jumping and, and yelling. We can't believe what every one of us just witnessed. And after a few minute, a uh, few seconds of being excited, we realized we got to go to work. We got to get back <laughs> in the house. So myself and uh, another team member, Steve Laplante, are the first one up to the front door, and we get asked this all the time uh, through the years: Have you guys ever been so scared that you wanted to quit? And the answer is no. But mm-hmm. this one moment, I'll never forget it because my adrenaline was so high to open up that door because that shadow was walking that way. 
uh, I remember turning and looking at Steve and I said, why the hell do we do this to ourselves? Because <laughs> my heart's coming out my chest. And we open the door and we are immediately blasted in the face with not cigar smoke, but imagine that bad, cheap lilac perfume that all of our grandmas wore at one time. Wow. And that's what it was. And that corroborates exactly with not only is there cigar smell in there, but one of the six spirits is there's a couple women, uh, female spirits who are in there. And one of them is associated with this smell of lilac. And we were both just hit in the face with it to the point where it took our breath away. And so that moment really kind of solidified why we're doing what we're doing. We had had a lot of little experiences up to that point, but that moment right there uh, as a whole for the team was like, all right, we, we understand what we're dealing. Well, I mean, maybe not 100%, but we had a better <laughs> idea of what we're dealing with, you know, and it really kind of propelled us to keep working in the field. Mm -hmm. And it was, and that was just the start of the night. We right. had, we had batteries drain very quickly that mm -hmm. night. We, we had a, a light turn on, on command out in the yard. Even we, we didn't realize it at the time, but half the team was out, half was in. Yeah. Um, just a lot. And, and there's always, you, you never go into a location expecting activity we've learned that over the years over many many boring evenings yeah <laughs> of, of sitting in the dark <laughs> doing nothing and this place though is the one place that every time we go we get at least two or three events that we cannot explain away yeah it's amazing we over the years you know growing up here in the up and over in new england too where you guys are you 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 would understand this we liken ghost hunting to deer hunting you can sit there for hours and not see or hear a thing for days and not see or hear a thing. But the moment you see that buck, your adrenaline is through the roof. And it's the same thing with, with, with investigating. So before I do anything, I want to say that uh, to all the grandmothers out there, the abuse express <laughs> were those of the guests, not necessarily those of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Fair Sorry, enough. Mom. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. She liked her lilac perfume. <laughs> Insult my mother wheels. <laughs> Our apologies. <laughs> so, so, I mean, now, it's, it's immediately after you all saw that no one said, well, did you get a shot? Did you get a picture of that? Nope. Well, we didn't have it. We, we brought no equipment. That, right? Yeah, no. We brought no equipment with us out oh. front, uh, outside. Everything was just left inside. We literally were just going to go outside and hang out. We weren't expecting that. Shame on us. You know, we were pretty young at the time, too. So, um, you know, definitely learn from that experience. And the problem is we did have a camera in that room, but the camera picked nothing up. Which is, yeah. was, you know, but as you know, that, that stuff doesn't always capture that stuff. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, uh, the the camera angles were all on the reported hot spots. Yes. None of which were the windows in the dining room area. <laughs> right. We had, so. a, we, yeah, you're right, Brad. We did have cameras going into that room, but not mm -hmm. over to the right where the windows were. But there's a Bible in that very same formal dining room that is said if it's changed from the um, the passage that Captain Townsend does not enjoy or was his favorite because he was a very religious man. That Bible has been seen to slam shut or to end up on the ground. So we had our camera fixated on oh, cool. the Bible, which was across the room. So we did have a camera in there, just wasn't focused on the window. It's so fascinating, though, what you guys do and what, what we do. I mean, you can't predict it. And those who think yeah. they can are out of their minds. 
but one thing you mentioned about the batteries being drained, and I, I think that's so humorous because we were talking about that on the last show, is that uh, all paranormal activity throughout the history uh, since the, the, the beginning of electricity has discussed how electricity is messed up or effed up by paranormal. And, and yet we are now relying on so many electronic devices for our <laughs> evidence. So it, it just, it just, it's just blows my mind actually. And you talked about going back to the, the old, old ways. Uh, uh, well, not, I guess the, the beginning ones, but, uh, are you going back to cassette recorders now? <laughs> you, you, we've talked a little bit about it, but uh, oddly enough, it's uh, it, it's to the point. If you want to go back that far, it's harder to find the cassettes now. Yeah, it, it is. is. I think we have one store in town that still sells them that you can get. You yeah. can get them. You know what's funny is when we first started out, our first couple of years, we did. Uh, we would walk around with a big cassette player that's strapped around us like a, a bullet. <laughs> And then we had a big parabolic mic where you could hear someone sneezing down the block. So we, <laughs> we soon realized that this thing was picking up way too much. Like we couldn't yeah, tell. Never could voice. figure that out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> could I ask? Do you find that you yeah. did pick up things with the cassette that you haven't picked up with with the uh, little micro cassette recorders that we have now? I will say, when we were using cassettes we weren't getting as many investigations. This was prior to, I mean, once, once ghost hunters hit and then yeah, ghost yeah. adventures and all of a sudden there, there was a ghost TV show on every network. That's when all of a sudden we were getting calls left and right. Prior to that, we might've only done four investigations a year because that's all we were getting called in for. Nobody wanted to admit that their house, workplace, wherever was haunted. Right. They wanted nothing to do with it. So we don't have enough in the way of, I would say, cassette evidence versus mm -hmm. what we have on the digital recorders to do an honest comparison. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it would be interesting if we did. Yeah. And, and I think I know where you're going with that, Leslie. And I, I've read a lot of stuff on that where people um, talk about the difference between recording on cassette to audio today. And there's also a very good argument about today's mini digital cameras yes. compared to a full-blown, you know, nice camera camera and how close the flash is to the lens and what that could be creating as well. And I think, mm -hmm. I, correct me if I'm wrong, Leslie, but I think you're kind of going in that direction. Well, I was thinking about, I actually bought some cassettes because I thought that I would try instead of using my digital recorder, because I haven't been having much luck with it, um, mm -hmm. to go back to the cassettes. Because I used recorder to must be too good, Leslie. What's that? Your recorder must be too good. It doesn't have enough static be. on it. Right, <laughs> right. It is a newer one. And, um, yeah, so I was thinking about going back to the, the old ways. I, mean, that's I, I was saying when I was, when I was a teenager, we used to pick stuff up in the house, you know, different voices that weren't ours that were being recorded because we used to use ours all the time, you know, <laughs> we used to play with them all the time. Um, right. so I was, I was curious to see if you had picked up anything with yours. We, we do, we do still have file cabinets with all of the old video and audio cassettes. Oh, yes. I'm afraid back, to, backed away from the, the late nineties. I'm afraid to put them in a cassette, uh, recorder cause I don't want them to eat it and have to pull out the pencil. <laughs> right. I know. Right. Wind that tape back in. <laughs> I mean, even the, you know, when we, we, and I first started doing it, we use, you know, film 
Uh, yeah, and, right. and I'm even thinking about going back to that way. I mean, and we, you know, we used infrared film, which was, I don't know if you guys have ever used that, but it, it it's, you know, difficult to work with. You have to keep it temperature wise in a, in a cold storage and you, you load the camera in a black bag, unload in a black bag prior to the thing. I mean, but when you got something on there, to me, you know, you had your negatives of backup because let's face it, there are some times when you can get uh, uh, mishandling and uh, a, a development of it. Otherwise, otherwise, they weren't developed properly and everything else. But if you got the negatives, you can always get more prints and see if it, it's, uh, you know, something that's, that's involved. But uh, what's your thoughts on uh, going back to regular film? You know, I, I like the idea on that too. And again, that's something that we've chatted about before as well. Yeah. It's, uh, there, there, there's no, uh, quickie photo mart anymore. So we'd have to wait two <laughs> weeks to get it back. But yeah, again, as, as technology evolves, some of the old methods, the old, especially where we're at, because we're not in any cosmopolitan area, anything that we want to send away to get processed is going to be sent away. Right. It's not, uh, yeah. not something that we can just drop and go with. I, I, always felt and i still do i guess to a point even though digital cameras are getting better and better and but compared to the earlier digital cameras we had i think there were a lot more false positives coming through just sure. from what mm -hmm. it was picking up or from where it wasn't filling in in the image right uh, versus with an actual film 35 millimeter camera uh i i think it was harder to get false positives on the actual film. We even tried experimenting with Polaroid for a while, but realized that yeah. was breaking the budget real quick. I know. Isn't that cool? That's, <laughs> that's the nice thing. I mean, I would love to go back to that, but it's like, yeah, you know, it, it's so damn expensive. And the nice thing about digital is, I mean, Frank, if you're doing a base of a place and where you're shooting all the rooms and everything else, digital is great because you have that. It's cheap. It doesn't cost you anything. Right. If you did that with film, it, it gets to be expensive. So maybe a combination of the two where you, you do your base with uh, digital and, and so forth. But I remember when digital first came out and OBS began to appear. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I always still get them. And, yeah. you know, and I always thought, I said, well, either there's a flaw in the the technology or we've invented something that we can catch the paranormal. Yes. <laughs> and it, I know now know my answer, but that's, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not too proud to say that when we first started out 20 plus years ago, I'll never forget the first video we shot and we sat down to review it. And we thought we just like you had said, Ron, we thought we captured the, the, the gates to hell. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it was dust orbs everywhere. And we were so, you know, oh, my God, look at this. Oh, this is coming. But then, you know, as we as we had to educate ourselves, because, again, exactly. this, was, this was before everything blew up and became uh, popular. We had to educate ourselves and, and made us, you know, we had to realize that uh, <laughs> those aren't ghosts, even though we got excited for a bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if. You know, I, I've done a lot of over the year. I've always been media friendly, so I've done a lot of interviews for different uh, magazines and, and well, whatever. But anyways, if you go back and look at the the early interviews that I did versus the, the ones I'm doing now, you, you can see how my opinion has changed. And I think that's important in what we do is is we have to learn and we have to grow. And if we don't, then we're not doing it right, to be quite frankly. And, uh, do you believe in that? Or, or? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the evolution of the field took such a jump when all of a sudden it was 
I don't want to even say accepted by the general public, but it was put in front of the general public so much more with the uh, quote unquote reality television shows. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, I think when that blew up and then, oh, well, this group's using this, this group's using this. I, I don't think there's ever been a time in the past that you saw technologically so many different avenues being taken in such okay. a short period of time with equipment that was never designed to do what they're coming on TV yeah. and using the stuff for. And do they know what they're doing with it? Well, it, it because all the competing television stations and, and, and networks wanted to break the next big thing. So they were all just shoving these things into the hands of the people in front of the cameras saying, use these. And yeah, again, I mean, uh, were they ever truly tested? Were they ever uh, really uh, fielded to find out if they they were meant to do what they were meant to do, or was it just a money grab? And I'll tell you what, we fell into that too. Like oh, Brad had said, there was a oh, time sure. when we were buying every new gadget because we thought we needed it, you know? And that, again, uh, the, over 20 plus years, you learn and you grow. So Leslie and I have been studying the red light science for the past yeah. eight plus years, Liz. And yeah, eight plus. Yeah, eight plus years. We religiously every month we hold a, a seance, record it, and so forth, and and trying to understand the early spiritualists and what was going on in there. Was it fakery? Was it more than that? So some of these early methods by spiritualists, for instance, uh, uh, dowsing or or uh, you know Ouija boards or, or whatever. I mean, what's your thoughts on those? You know, I, I always, you, 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 a lot of people draw the line, either it's fake or it's not. And, and is it that simple? I, I loved your commercial with Harry Price in it. That was amazing. He's one of my favorite pioneers in the field. It, was he a charlatan? Did he do some trickery? Yeah, more than likely. The more you read, you think so. But was he also serious about his work? And was he actually researching and, and observing and learning the paranormal? And absolutely he was. He wasn't just out there as a fake trying to make money. Now, when the opportunity came about to be sensationalized and to get some media attention and to get more people in and draw attention to it, did he fake a few things? I tend to think he did. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not to say he was a fake or a phony because he was not. Yeah. And for me, I... I always found it fascinating. I, I don't know if I ever drew a conclusion one way or the other. I'll tell you who really has opened my eyes to it to make me understand it more and really kind of accept it as uh, this, this, there's, there's some real to this is uh, uh, Tim Shaw, Reverend Tim Shaw. Who oh, grew yeah. Up I know in, Tim well. yeah. yeah, and we've gotten to know Tim very well over the years. And I, whenever I get a chance to, to talk to Tim, and we do it every year at our, at our convention, we bring him in and um, and, and even just through, through, uh, email or whatever, I love talking to Tim about the spiritualism uh, mm -hmm. side of things and the spiritualist movement and, um, and, and Lily Dale and all that, because that was, that's what he grew up in. And yeah. he is full of that information. And I love picking his brain on that stuff. He actually, uh, Tim wrote the back cover to our new book. Yeah, he oh, did. Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, Jeff Belanger wrote the forward. Tim wrote the back cover and yeah, everything Jeff, in between. Uh, a bunch just, of crap. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Belanger writes everybody's forward. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, he's, I've, he's, I've got he's three books. Forward. He's written the forward and all of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, the, the voice you heard is my partner from Ghost Chronicles International, Steve Parson, who is a member of the uh, SPR, a council member of the SPR, and also uh, probably one of the 
most distinguished uh, paranormal investigators in the UK. And he is a avid collector of uh, uh, Harry Price's material. He has a lot of his, his personal items. He has a lot of his uh, writing. In, and he also has access to a lot of it to the SPR. And uh, in fact, I have a pair of uh, Harry's glasses uh, in my Ooh. collection as well. So, uh, but yeah, he he went back. I mean, he was the one that really came up with the first ghost hunting kit. Yes. And, yes. And, and what I loved about it is he had a sniffer of whiskey. Oh yeah. yeah well, what, what, what good? Wait a minute. What good ghost hunting group doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> we we we've evolved to bringing the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're getting to as the end of the show, so I do want to mention your new books coming out because that's what I promised I would do. And uh, so you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it just came out two months ago, actually. Uh, so it's still very, very fresh. Uh, Great Lakes Monsters and Mysteries, uh, as Brad had said at the beginning of the hour. Um, this is a little so, you know, our, our, our the, what we've worked in for many years is the ghost research, but we've done some Bigfoot, we've done some crypto, we've done some UFO um, through the years as people in the area have have reached out to us. But this book really allowed us to to delve into that much deeper than we ever had before. So, of course, there are ghost stories in this. There's stories about UFOs, and it's the Great Lakes region. So any of the states that touch the Great Lakes, New we York open to Minnesota to, yes. to Illinois, Indiana, it's mm -hmm. all throughout and into Canada as well. Yeah, and it, and it really just, it, as it says, Great Lakes Monsters and Mysteries. If there's something, if, if someone had a story to tell, we wanted to hear it, and we went through and we picked out our best and we researched and uh, we interviewed, and then we just kind of compiled uh, what we thought were our favorite stories um, in this. And I'll tell you what, and, and maybe we're a little biased, one of our favorite chapters in the book is one called Tales from the Creaking Door. Brad and I actually have our own uh, radio show called Creaking Door Paranormal Radio. Oh, and sweet. And we do a mailbag section. And where can, wait a minute. Where can people listen to that? Uh, it's it's on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and, and all of that. And we just switched over to a new home base as well. Um, and now I will, I, will, I will tell you this. Uh, this past three months, Brad and I have had to take off because we've been so damn busy with the real life that gets in the way of having fun. Um, we haven't had a new show, but we will come uh, starting come September. Uh, oh, cool. will be our next show that will come out. But um so anyways, part of our show, we do a segment called Mailbag, where we allow our listeners to share their stories with us. And we went through and took our favorite stories from those and put built a chapter on that, too. And uh, there's some really good stories in there. Yeah, we, yeah. we had to um, correct some grammar and well, of course, yeah. <laughs> of course, brush a few things up. But it, it was it was a lot of fun to go through all of the, the correspondences we had and and pick some that were from the Great Lakes region that we could include. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it, it was a fun project and it was, like Tim said, it, it was going into areas that we didn't necessarily specialize in, I guess, but things that we've read, uh, as I said, since we were kids, we were checking out all these books on cryptids and UFOs and different things. And this was going out and reaching out to, uh, you know, different people, the head of Michigan's MUFON chapter, uh, talking to people with the UP Bigfoot Research Organization, talking to marine biologists to get input on what sea monsters in the Great Lakes region could be. Uh, it was it was just a fascinating and fun project to be involved with. Yeah, it would, to the point where I remember writing a few of these chapters. Uh, you know, it's it's like two three o'clock in the morning, and I'm in my office at home, and wife's and and the dogs are in bed, and it's just me, and I'm writing. 
And I'm getting creeped out writing some of these chapters. And I'm like, this reminds me why I loved this as a kid. You know, you get that that chill up your back and you're like, oh, this is a creepy story. And this book kind of brought that back to me. And I really enjoyed that. And do you have a favorite uh, story in there? Ooh, you know, one of them, there, there's a Bigfoot story in here that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, if I'm going back to that chapter we did from the creaking door to it's the one of the kid who grew up, I don't want to say too much, but he he grew up with uh, two what he thought were his friends, but he only found them at a certain playground. And his parents always saw him talking when he would be at the swing set. But, oh. they, he was, but come to find out, after some pictures were taken and he saw him as an adult, there were no kids there. He was by himself. So he would only see these two young kids at the playground. They, he would swing on the swings with them. The parents would see the swings move, but it was just their own son they would see there so literally he was playing with two ghost kids and it was such a fascinating story i really wow. enjoyed the sea serpent section yeah you researched I the sea serpent on one. just the thing what i was pulling up from old newspaper articles from the 1800s as far back as the late 1700s on some and, and the descriptions and some of the similarities that were coming out in different lakes of completely different creatures that people were seeing and these were seasoned sailors, mariners, uh, people that worked for the Coast Guard, police officers. It, it was pretty fascinating to see how much, out, and I don't want to say how much evidence, but how many sightings. sightings a- yeah. And could all of these people just be mistaking a sturgeon or some other large fish? It, it just seems improbable, but we don't know. You know again, it's, it's like with Bigfoot, there hasn't been a carcass that's washed up on shore that we know of. Yeah. Know? There's a doorbell. Pizza from the dead is here, so we got to wrap it up. Uh, so that that was Brad just talking. Yes, that was Brad. Yep. Brad, uh, you know I, I am doing a video documentary on on sea serpents as it is. Really. Uh, we, we started it before uh, the the virus hit, but I would love to talk to you about some of the uh, sightings that were that you've run into. Uh, Absolutely. If, if you don't mind. I, so you'll be here with me. So I want to thank you guys for joining us. And uh, I'm so glad that uh, we were finally able to connect. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, how can they do that? Uh, we're all over social media. You can find uh, the uh, the Upper Peninsula Paranormal Research Society Facebook. You can find Michigan Paranormal Convention uh, Facebook page. You can find uh, Creaking Door Paranormal radio mm-hmm. facebook page we're all over social media we're very active on you it. can call tim's cell phone at 906 <laughs> 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 and if you're if you are inter- uh, you can also find supernaturalhaunts.com is where you can find more information uh, on the stories we shared too and the books available where right there supernaturalhaunts.com or also on amazon, amazon. yep yep okay all right, so uh, any information on the new conferences coming up? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mich- Michigan Paracon, uh, the 11th annual, coming up later this month. At uh, You can get all of the uh, rundown schedule presenters at miparacon.com. And uh, tickets are still on sale right now. We're getting fairly close to a sellout this year. Yeah, we're Excellent. expecting anywhere between twelve to 1,400 people. It'll be our biggest crowd yet, so we're excited. Oh, God bless you. Oh, yeah. wow. That's amazing. Yes. 
it's a lot of work too. I'll give you guys credit for that. It's a lot of work. And this was the most difficult year ever because we had to roll everything over due to COVID. Mm -hmm. And naturally we, we lost a few presenters, uh, who for whatever reasons or, uh, you know, just weren't going to make it. Or I hate to cut you off, but there's the twos, my friends. Yeah, so you go. All righty. <laughs> Thanks for having us. So Thanks for joining us. Good night, everybody. God bless. And uh, see you next week. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us 